Well, in Psalm 66, we read, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Well, amen. Well, let's worship the Lord together as we sing in our opening hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So let's unite our hearts as we pray together. In the dark of night, before the dawn, 
My soul, be not afraid for the promised morning. Oh, how long, O God of Jacob, be my strength. For we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Lord, as we unite our hearts here in prayer this morning, oh, how we thank you that we can say with the psalmist, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And so we do thank you for the grace that you've implanted in our hearts where we desire and long after you. And as we gather this morning, Lord, we do hunger for more. We thirst for more of your presence. Lord, we're not satisfied just trundling along often feeling as if we're just stuck in a rut. Oh, our heart's desire is to grow, to grow in love, to grow in mercy, to grow in grace, to grow in faith. And Lord, it's you that give us the increase. And so help us this morning as we desire to follow hard after you, that you would give us a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst. Lord, grant us such a love for Jesus. And so fill this sanctuary, Lord, with such a foretaste of heaven. Lord, we know that heaven is a world filled with love a world filled with goodness and light and joy. Lord, it is a world where there is no more sin, no more darkness and no more weeping. Lord, no more worries for our family, no more worries over health and sickness and And no more worries over the loss of loved ones. Lord, what a day that will be when we live in that eternal joy of the Lord and with your people feasting and singing with loud hosannas, with the angels in glory. And so, Lord, this morning, may we even know just a taste of that Fill our hearts this morning with the love of Jesus. Empower us with your Holy Spirit of promise. Oh, may we be overwhelmed by your mercy and grace. And may we know, oh God, just your sweet forgiveness. Lord, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory. We're not where we ought to be as Christians. But, O oh God, we thank you for your mercy and forgiveness. O oh, cleanse us afresh. And may even an angel from glory come and touch our lips with that burning coal where we may know newness of life. 
And Lord, as we experience your mercy and grace, Lord, help us to live out a life of mercy. For blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so, Lord, as we now just join in this time together, open your word to us and open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your word and that our hearts would be so open that we would receive. And so, Lord, we offer these prayers as we also unite in the Lord's Prayer, praying together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10, and can be found on page 1016. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, and is found in page 1095. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he, said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, <clears throat> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen, and may God add his blessing to these readings from his work. Well, I, would, <clears throat> I would like us to return to our reading there in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, where we now continue with the Beatitudes which we began at the beginning of the year. And when we began our series, we shared there what the Beatitudes were not and what they weren't meant to be. Many have taken the Beatitudes and they've thought, right, that's what we're to attain to. This is the life that we should get to. If you're going to reach heaven and be truly blessed, then you must be like this. And you must take your whole life to get like that. And once you become a Christian like that, that you can fulfill all these Beatitudes, then you're going to be blessed and you'll be taken to heaven. But as we shared at the beginning of this series, I believe that's where the misunderstanding comes. The Beatitudes are not a description in how to become a Christian. We have to get that into our minds and into our hearts. And therefore you can take a sigh of relief. This is not meant to be the way to heaven. It's not a description of how to get there and how to be acceptable to God. Jesus teaches here that the Beatitudes is actually a picture of the Christian. He's describing the distinguishing marks of the believer, someone who is a Christian. Jesus now begins his teaching, and he said, blessed are those. And he's now explaining, now this is the Christian. The Christian is someone who is poor in spirit. The Christian is one who mourns. The Christian is one who knows that they have nothing. That they can say with the hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. The Christian is poor in spirit. They're totally dependent upon the Lord. It's not, Lord, I think I can do this. If I can keep the law perfectly, I'll get there and oh, I can do it. No, the true Christian says, Lord, I know I can't do it. I need you. Lord, I can't live this perfect, holy life. I need you. You must come and fill my heart. I need your empowering. I need your life in me. Lord, I'll never be good enough. Therefore, Jesus, you must be my goodness. I'll never be righteous enough. But the Christian says, but Jesus is my righteousness. Lord, I'll never be perfectly holy. And that's true. But the Christian says, but Jesus is my perfect holiness. When we receive Christ, we receive his life. We receive that life, not just on the cross. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? 
He became sin for us. He took our sins. He died in our place. The death that we should have died. The punishment that we deserve because we sin. Jesus said, I'm guilty. I am taking that guilt. I will take the punishment. And the Christian is one who believes. Who trusts in Christ. That he has done enough. And that he is good enough. And that his righteousness is enough. And that his perfect law keeping. Remember Jesus kept the law perfectly. And he kept that law perfectly for me and for you. And so when we receive Christ. We receive all that he is and all that he's done for us. That's the distinguishing mark of the believer. The Christian is one who has come into union with Christ, who has come into a relationship with Christ their Saviour. And he now becomes everything. We can't get to heaven without Jesus. We can't be forgiven of our sins without Jesus, without his precious blood covering us. We can't live the Christian life without him. Jesus there, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. And likewise, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And so the Christian is not someone who does things to get to heaven. A Christian is someone who has received all that heaven has done for them. All that Christ has done for them. We receive it. And you know when you've received it because you then begin to know a new life. And that new life begins to work through you. You become more aware of your sins. You wake up each morning knowing, Lord, oh, I've sinned again. I know that I'm not living the life I ought to. You feel poor in spirit, don't you? That's the Christian. The Christian is not, oh, I've made it, I've done it today, I've, I've, I've gone through the whole day without sinning, I've given to charity, I've said nice things to my neighbour, I've done all that, way of day one, here we go. No, the Christian is someone who knows they're poor in spirit. Lord, I need thee. Oh, how I need thee. And we mourn over our sins. A Christian is one who mourns and grieves over our sins. We don't go declaring, look how good I am. I'm a Christian now. I'm perfectly holy. I can now go to the wee white cloths at communion at last. Do you know when I grew up there in the church in the islands there, we used to see the church. You knew when it was communion because half the church was covered in these white cloths. And I knew that only the people who were really, really holy sat at the white cloths. Those who really lived the perfect life. And I always knew, as a, I, even as a young Christian, I thought I would never get to sit at that white cloth. Because I always thought that I had to reach a certain mark. I didn't realize that the white cloths were for people who couldn't do it themselves. They needed Jesus. If you needed Christ to help you, Live the Christian life. You sat at the white cloth. If you knew that you needed mercy and grace and love from God to help you in your time of need. If you knew that you needed a place of refuge, a, a sanctuary of rest. 
You sat at the white cloth, but I didn't know that. I thought you had to be really strong. You didn't need anyone to help you. You didn't, oh, you could do it yourself. You were holy, holy, holy. But no, the Christian, Jesus describes the Christian here. He said, yes, they're poor in spirit. They're totally reliant on the Lord for their daily bread. Daily they come to the Lord. When they've sinned, they go straight to Christ. They go to the Lord. They don't go running off, moping, feeling that they have to punish themselves. Oh, right, I'll beat myself up for a while. And then maybe God will speak to me after he knows that I've paid off my, my debts here. No, the Christian, Jesus said, is one who mourns and who comes to him when they're heavy laden and weary and who feel that, Lord, I need your mercy. There are certain attitudes, and this is what we're getting to. The Christian has a certain attitude to life. And here Matthew would say, and they're beautiful attitudes. They're beautiful attitudes. And as we've shared already, we've shared the first four. If you've forgotten them, don't worry. Go back online and you can listen to the first four sermons again on the Beatitudes. But this morning, as we considered the fifth Beatitude, the first four describe the inner attitude between you and the Lord. It's an inner attitude of your relationship in the presence of God. But then the next four Beatitudes are describing the attitude of the Christian now towards others. And so as we now come to this blessed life, the blessed Christian life, we're now beginning to look at our attitude towards others. So the first four, you could say, are the roots of the blessed life. But now the next four that we're looking at are the fruits of the blessed life. What is it to live a blessed life? Well, here's now the fruits of it. When, you ha when you're in relationship with Christ, fruit begins to appear. It's not you trying to create an apple or an orange or a banana. When you, we're told, Jesus said, when you abide in me, fruit will grow automatically. When you spend time with me, when you spend time growing in a relationship with me, when you abide in me, then fruit will appear. Because when you spend more time with me, my likeness is going to affect you and you're going to look like me. You're going to start acting like me, even when you don't notice. And so these attitudes of the heart begin to form because of our being rooted in Christ himself. When we've put our trust in Jesus, then you see the fruit growing. Without Jesus, we're told, there will be no fruit. There'll be no fruit. So here now, as Jesus begins to teach us of the fruits of the blessed life, we're told, merciful, blessed are the merciful. The Christian is someone who is merciful, who is pure in heart, and who is a peacemaker. The Christian is not someone who ought to be causing division everywhere they go, causing an argument, even with themselves. The Christian ought not to be divisive. The Christian should not be someone who's pulling down other people to make themselves better. That's not the Christian. 
Now, yes, we can sin. We can be tempted to say not nice things about others. And we can pull other people down to make ourselves feel better. Now, Christians can do that. But the Christian will mourn when they do it. They will grieve. They will not feel right. They will know their hearts are not right. Because now the Holy Spirit changes them. We know it's not right to gossip. We know it's not right to cause division even in the church. To go out of our ways, to have our way. And so blessed are the merciful. Well, as we consider this morning, the merciful, maybe the question we should first ask is, well, what is mercy? What, what do we mean by mercy? Well, can I first of all highlight that mercy reveals the nature of God himself. God is love. We know that. It's his very nature to be love. But also, the Bible tells us that God is mercy. He is mercy. Not, it's not just that he acts mercifully, but he is mercy. God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. It's the very nature of God. Remember when the Lord spoke to Moses there on Mount Sinai? Listen to what he said. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's a description of God himself. This is God. He, the Lord, the Lord, he is merciful. That's his very nature. He can't help but show mercy. He can't help but be gracious. He can't help but be slow to anger. Isn't that good? He can't help but abound in love. See, when you feel down and discouraged and you've fallen and you've tripped and you've stumbled and you don't feel that you've been living right, isn't it lovely to know that God is mercy? I can go somewhere to receive mercy. I can go somewhere to get love. I know where I can go to receive grace. The temple choir, there in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, I love how when they sang, remember when the Holy Spirit came upon in the sanctuary there, they were singing. Solomon had finished praying and now the choir were singing. What were they singing? His love and mercy endures until the end of the service. No. We're told that they sang with all their heart. His mercy, his love and mercy endures forever and ever and ever. How could they sing that? Because they knew God is mercy. He is love itself. He is eternal and he's eternally merciful and loving. Psalm 23, you all know it well. Goodness and mercy 
will follow me all the days of my life. And even in the New Testament, look at Paul. Paul writes to the church there in Ephesus in chapter 2. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. I like that. Made us alive in Christ. Paul is here describing what happened, what happened to the believers. God who is rich in mercy saved us by his grace. He chose to be gracious. And this is emphasized again as Paul writes to Titus there in chapter 3 at verse 5. We're told he saved us not because of righteous things we have done. Okay, now get that. Paul is writing to Titus and he tells us the Lord saved us. And it wasn't because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Isn't that good? The reason that we're saved, the reason that we're Christians, the reason that the Lord has brought us from darkness into light is because he is mercy and he is merciful. And can I also highlight in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 17, we're now, we see a picture of Christ himself. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is our merciful high priest. He's faithful. The Hebrew writer, right through that letter, we're encouraged to come to Christ, our merciful high priest. Isn't it good? To know that we have a merciful God, that we have a merciful Christ, that we have a merciful high priest. See, when you're feeling down and discouraged, when you feel at rock bottom, when you consider that God is love, God is mercy, God is gracious, do you know it doesn't matter how you feel? You know that, boy, I would want to go there. <laughs> In a time of need, where do we go but to the Lord? He is mercy. And so mercy reveals the very nature of God himself. But here in our text, we also notice that mercy reveals the attitude, or ought to be the attitude of the Christian. And this is why we read Luke chapter 10. Because there we see a picture of what mercy looks like. Now Jesus, when he asks the ruler there, he said, who is the good neighbor in the story? Who's a good neighbor? And this young ruler says, well, it's the one who shows mercy. It's the one who shows mercy. Now, the Good Samaritan, notice in the story, we're told that the Good Samaritan showed mercy not because he was a Good Samaritan and that ought to be the way you live as a Good Samaritan. He wasn't ticking a box. He wasn't saying, right, okay, I've now become a Good Samaritan, therefore I better start acting good all the time and 
okay, that minister there just passed that man who looks a bit drunk. He's just passed him by and there's another local priest. Oh, he thinks that man's drunk and he's passing him by. Oh, but because I'm now a good person, I'll go down and I'll put money in his cap because I, this is the way a good person should act. The Good Samaritan, in Luke's Gospel, we get his heart. This is a picture of mercy. Notice, the Good Samaritan, we're told that he was moved in heart. He had compassion for this man. Something stirred in the heart of the Good Samaritan. There was something in his inner being that felt for this poor man, this poor neighbor. He couldn't help but go to him in his need. And here he is. As he stirred in heart, he then shows compassion. In the Old Testament, the Shema tells us to love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. These religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to, they claimed to love God. They claimed to love God. They were good Christians. They were good people. But they had no concern for the poor and the needy. Those who were knocked down, those who struggled in life, it didn't matter a hoot. As long as they felt good in themselves, as, the, as long as they felt like good Christians, it doesn't matter about anyone else. That was the religious leaders. Yet they would claim, I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul. Jesus was really saying, well, if you love God, show it. Show me. How do you love God? Oh, well, I go to the synagogue. I go to the temple. I practice my tithes and my offerings. And but, but you know the Shema tells you that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. What is mercy? Well, as we've seen already, mercy has two elements to it. First of all, there's a tenderness of heart, or as what the Bible calls compassion. Yes, mercy begins with the compassion of Christ, with the compassion of God. You can't just wake up one day saying, right, I'm going to be merciful to someone. No. Mercy, first of all, has a, a compassion to it. There's a tenderness of heart. You really feel for someone. And mercy also involves action. It's not mercy if there's no action. We're told that the good Samaritan, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He did something. Yes, he had a compassionate heart. He had sympathy. Maybe he even had empathy. But he was moved in heart. But he was so moved that he then went and did something about it. That's mercy. It's love in action. It's that compassion. That tenderness of heart. Showing itself in an active way. I like what Sinclair Ferguson says. 
Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing something to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. I like that. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees. Showing dignity to someone who has been broken because maybe of their sins. In Jude, verse 22, we're told, be merciful to those who doubt. Those who are struggling in their faith. Those who are doubting and wondering, do you know this? I've followed this Christianity for years, but I don't know if it really works. I don't even know if it's true anymore. And the Christian is one who has compassion, has a tenderness of heart towards those who doubt. Joseph in Genesis chapter 45, do you remember how his brothers did awful things to him? Selling him into slavery. Oh boy, his life in a sense was ruined. And Joseph, if many of us were in his position, we would be tempted to get our revenge on the brothers. But we're told that Joseph showed mercy. He showed mercy to his brothers. And you see there Joseph, as he speaks to his brothers, he clears out all the Egyptian staff and there he is, tears flowing from his eyes. He loves his brothers. He has compassion on his brothers and he just hugs them. He gives them a meal and he hugs them. That's mercy. That's mercy. And Jesus said that ought to be the life of the Christian. When you know Christ, when you know the life of Christ, it's a life of being merciful. And yes, we may feel some days, Lord, <laughs> I'm not showing much mercy. Then what we need is, we need more of the Lord. We need more of his life flowing in us. We need to be filled with the Spirit, to be more merciful, to be more gracious, to be more loving. We need him. And as I mentioned, just in closing, I will close. Time is running too quickly this morning. But mercy, yes, reveals the very nature of God. It reveals the attitude of the Christian. But mercy also reveals the pursuit of the Christian. Merciful is something that doesn't just fall on your lap that you, you are now merciful. No, you pursue mercy. Every day we pursue to be merciful and to be more merciful. We're told that God requires you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he's requiring of you today. To act justly and to love mercy. Love mercy. And then, oh, to walk humbly with your God. Is that the life you want to live? Do you know the blessed life? Do you know the blessing today of the merciful? Is this your pursuit this morning? Do you desire to live that life of the merciful? To continually know the, the mercy of God? I, in James chapter 2, verse 13, we're told that judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Therefore, 
Isn't it good news? The Christian, when we have known the mercy of God, when we have known the Lord's forgiveness and grace, we're told that in the judgment, we will receive mercy. We will know mercy and grace and love. We will receive the biggest hug you've ever received. Blessed are the merciful. And so this morning, I pray that we're going to have a quiet time. We're going to, Billy's going to lead us in our prayers. But the prayer that I would love you to make this morning is maybe you'll bow your heart today. Now, you may well be like the tax collector and say, Lord, I'm just so grateful I'm not like other people. <laughs> Remember the tax collector when he went to pray? But then we're told that the sinner prayed, the tax collector, when he prayed, he, he just said this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And maybe this morning that's your prayer. Maybe you feel, Lord, I don't feel very merciful. I've been harboring anger and vengeance in my heart. I've been holding unforgiveness. I've been feeling bitter. Today, may it be your prayer. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And know that when you pray, you're praying to the God who is mercy and who loves to show mercy. And so can we go to the Lord in prayer? And so let's pray together. Father, as we bow in your presence, we give you thanks for your great love and for your mercy. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Lord, we just thank you that those words are so true. And Lord, we come and pray for our fellowship this morning. Lord, at this difficult time with the energy crisis and the cost of living, we just pray, Lord, that you will be close to everyone, every family here. Lord, that you will supply their every need. And Lord, we pray for those in our fellowship who are bereaved at this time. Lord, we ask you to comfort them. Lord, we pray particularly for the family of Eleanor and Marvin, Lord. Lord, we thank you that they knew you as their saviour and they are now with you, Lord. And Lord, at this difficult time, we just pray for the families that you will draw close to them and that you will bless them. And Father, we pray for those who are housebound and can get out to church on a Sunday morning. Lord, we pray that they'll be blessed by listening online or by telephone. Lord, we pray too, though, that they won't be lonely, that you will send folk to to have fellowship with them. And we think of the difficult times for the church itself and we pray for the review that's been carried out. 
Lord, we pray that your will be done. And Lord, as we think of the wider situation in our country, Lord, we pray for another new Prime Minister. And we just pray, Lord, that that you will surround him by men of faith. Lord, that you will move by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just pray for stability in our economy. Stability in the life of the, the Parliament. Whatever our political leanings are, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for our King. A new King. And it seems strange to say that. But we do pray indeed, Lord, that you will save the King. Lord, you will be the defender of our faith like his mother was. And Lord, we pray for the situation wider in our, our world, Lord. Lord, we think of the families that have been devastated by this crushing in South Korea, Lord. And so the number of young people that have died and the, the number that have been injured, Lord. Lord, we just pray again for the move of your Holy Spirit within those families. And we cannot forget the troubles in the war in Ukraine. Lord, we can see no end to it, Lord, but we just pray that you will be victorious over evil. We pray for the Christians in these countries that you will bless them. That somehow in this horrific time that they will see you. And coming back to our fellowship, Lord, we pray and thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to bring our tithes and our offerings. We pray, Lord, that we'll use them for the extension of your kingdom. And Lord, we ask you to hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.
so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship, comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. <laughs>